0: I think those are periods of time where actually slowing down allows you to move a lot faster and, more importantly, in the right direction. So that's why I always say it's not just speed, it's speed and focus.
1: How do we create a new world of work, one where companies succeed because of their leadership, not despite it? I'm Aaron Levy, the founder of Raise the Bar, and over the last decade, I've been immersing myself with this question. In this podcast, Raising the Bar on Leadership, we talk to people leaders, founders, and culture experts about how they've created a people-first culture in the workplace, the challenges, the hurdles, the wins, and the failures. Join me in this movement towards creating the new world of work we want to see. Today, we're lucky to have Barr Moses on the podcast. Barr is the co-founder and CEO of Monte Carlo, a data reliability company and the creator of the industry's first data observability platform. Today, Barr and I discuss the importance of speed, but not just speed for the sake of moving fast, rather focused, intentional speed we talk about how it's helped her grow and scale Monte Carlo and how she's put structures in place to help her team move at speed and take the time to reflect, reevaluate, and move forward even faster. Lastly, Barr leaves us with probably the most important nugget of all about authenticity. You'll have to listen to the end to hear more about that one. Welcome, Barr. It is a pleasure to have you on here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Thanks, Aaron. I'm looking forward to it. So I had a chance to do a little bit of research on your background, and you've gone from management consultant to the startup world to startup founder. How'd you get here?
0: A Great question. I actually studied math and stats and always loved working with data. Earlier in my career, I had the great sort of opportunity to work with companies and helping them use data. It was in various forms. So whether it was a consultant or at a startup where I was a person using the data myself, the goal was always to help teams, organizations, and people actually use data to make decisions. And that was a really hard thing to do, which is ironic because you can—you would think that we have a lot of data, we should be able to use it. But how do you actually make sure that the data is clean and trusted and reliable? And how do you make sure that people actually know what to make of the data? And also, by the way, for any piece of data, you could tell a totally different story. And so how do you actually understand the story and the narrative, and finally, how do you communicate that in a way that actually allows you to drive change in an organization? Every part of that process is incredibly hard. I was part of that in various forms in the last decade and a half or so. Earlier on as a consultant, helping organizations use data. Later on, and a startup, using data myself, helping my customers use data, and actually founding Monte Carlo, which that is sort of our mission. Our mission is to accelerate the use of data or the adoption of data by reducing what we call data downtime. Data downtime is basically periods of time when data is wrong. And that is because in all of my experiences working with organizations, the number one reason why they couldn't get data-driven was because the data was wrong. And actually being able to use data that's accurate is foundational to everything and generative AI and all these sort of like waves that are happening in data, we want to make sure that we're making decisions, sound decisions based on accurate data. And so that's what I'm focused on today.
1: Zoom in a little bit more. Like how'd you get from that idea to, I want to start a company and that's a different life, career journey than it is being a consultant and advising others or working in a business and helping fix
0: systems. Totally. As a consultant, what primary work it was quite varied, so work with very different industries. It could be like a semiconductor company. It could be a burger chain. It could be a fintech company. And each of these organizations, my role was to take data and to help the people making decisions about product strategy, about marketing campaigns, about how to build customer success operations. In whatever sort of format they were, help them make the right decisions. So take the right data, analyze it. And make recommendations for it. But I wasn't actually part of implementing those recommendations. And so after a couple of years of doing that, I decided to join a startup to help actually build from the ground up an organization in a category. So I joined a company called Gainsight, which created the customer success category. And that was really cool because customer success didn't exist before that. And by that, people would basically buy from an organization. And maybe they use the product or maybe not. It didn't really matter. But then subscription, sort of the whole subscription economy came in and it was important to earn your customer's business every single day because returning customers were key. And so you needed to earn your customer's business. And when we created the category at Gainsight, a lot of it was bringing data to category creation. So what does it mean to actually measure the health of a happy customer? What does that look like? What are the early signs of a happy customer? What are the early signs of a not happy customer? So there's actually really cool applications of data in customer success as a category. And in my role at Gainsight, I was using data to inform my work, to inform the board, to inform a customer on their customer health. So imagine our customers trying to understand the health of their business. They're relying on data that we're providing them and we're telling them this customer had 30 support tickets in the last 10 days. Something must be wrong. Or this customer's adoption of a particular feature just spiked significantly. You might want to check in, see maybe they need help. Or this particular customer hasn't been using the product at all for the last 30 days. You probably want to check in to see if something's happening. In all of those instances, I was responsible for that data. And I would get so many angry emails from CEO and many others saying, WTF, why is the data wrong? (laughs) And I was freaked out. It was like, I had one job, make sure the data is right. And then it was wrong a lot. And it was wrong for various reasons. It was wrong because we were relying on some third party data that just never arrived and no one bothered to tell us. Or it was wrong because someone upstream made a change to our website and that just like messed up the tracking downstream and everything else. Like there are various reasons for why that would happen. But at the end of the day, I was like, I was not delivering accurate data. And when I was looking at my, Engineering counterparts, they had off-the-shelf solutions for this. They had solutions that you're probably familiar with, companies like AppDynamics, New Relic, Datadog, that help engineering teams make sure your applications are reliable. Data teams have nothing. They're just like, I hope the data's right, but I'm actually not sure. And you by the way, us. exactly, fingers crossed. Oh, but we can maybe manually, let's just look at reports for a really long time and make sure that the data's right. Or let's create a lot of different reports and we'll get them together and have six different eyes on the data. That is how people made sure the data is accurate and reliable, which is really unreasonable.
1: Been there. Been there. It's awful.
0: (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Been there too. I, I don't
1: want to talk about that time. I read data analysis for a startup and had to clean up a messy database. And I'm not a data person. Excel spreadsheets I can do, but they're not my strength. So as you're talking about this, I'm getting a little bit of anxiety of that time (laughs) where I had to go through that project and say, why is this information coming in? And it's coming in the wrong way. And with God, let's keep going. Sorry, that's too much.
0: No, that's exactly right. And it this problem elicits horror stories from people, right? I remember that time that I woke up sweating because I wasn't sure if the data is accurate or not. So you're totally right. That's exactly. I love that story. And that's exactly what our customers feel like. And so at the time. I was responsible for the data. I was a person waking up at night sweating. And I was really frustrated that there wasn't a solution for this. After a couple of years at at Gainsight and really learning a lot about category creation and about company building, I decided to start my own company with the idea of solving this problem. And actually, before I did that, I had a little bit of self-exploration. So I spent six months or so, took time off. I went on a silent meditation retreat for seven days. I watched Netflix for a whole week before it was socially acceptable to watch Netflix for a whole week. It took time to make sure that I understand what I want to do and what gives me energy in my day-to-day, what kind of impact I want to have on the world, and decided to start a company. I actually started three companies in parallel, so worked on three ideas, which was a lot of fun. Some of the other ideas that I worked on were so bad. Nobody gave a shit about what I was doing. <laughs> and I was like, there's not going to be a company... From that idea, it's just not going to happen. And when I compared that to this idea of data reliability and data downtime, there was so much more pull. I was like, this is definitely a real problem with the concrete person who is in pain and that I can help. There's definitely higher likelihood of building a business from that area. And as an entrepreneur, you're in the business of doing things that are highly unlikely, creating A new category adds an entire new sort of level of complexity because you don't, it's not just building a company, it's also building a category. So you kind of have to like hit two home runs if that makes sense. I actually heard Ali from Databricks describe that as a way, their journey to creating a successful open source solution and then also a company. As an entrepreneur, you're choosing to do the impossible every day. You're waking up and you're like, there's 99.9% chance that this is going to fail and I'm still waking up and doing this it's a really fun journey.
1: Fast forward several years, you've been able to hit some success because you now have several hundred employees several years later. And what I'm curious about is how have you been able to scale the team, the culture as you've grown from a handful of people to, to a few hundred?
0: I think about this a lot. I actually spend a good amount of my time thinking about building the culture. And I've come to a couple of realizations One is, I think everybody talks about values, but actually living, breathing, and writing your values is really important. And we did that when we were about four people, and those values stick with us. And I'll just give a couple examples. One of our values, beat the odds, which actually speaks to what I mentioned before, which is as an entrepreneur, you're waking up every day and trying to do the impossible. And by definition, you are trying to beat the odds. And... I think that's really powerful as a startup because you're trying to create something from nothing. And when you get a group of 150, 200 people are all around you trying to create magic every single day, that creates for a really unique culture. When everyone is inside in the arena with you and like literally trying to create magic. So every single day we break new records, right? Like we close the most customers or we ship faster features or we make the customers incredibly happy. Or we've made more customers happy than we've had in the last year or anything like that. Like all of those are like first milestones. And so you keep on creating this magic around doing things that you didn't think you could do or that you thought would be really hard to do. And there's something really special about that. So we try to ingrain those in our values. The other value that we have is called measure in minutes. And measure in minutes basically talks about speed as a core pillar of a company. And the idea is for everything that you can do, you can or another way to think about this is the measure of success for us is not like years or months or weeks. It's actually minutes. So every single minute that you're spending on something should be towards either making customers very happy or getting more customers and being really critical with the time that you're spending. Because most of us work on things that open a drawer, put, put it in and close it and you never see it again. Can you build a company or an organization where every single person is working only on high impact things and when high impact, customer impact? Which are yeah.
1: our values?: So one of the things I'm curious about, I, I love that you did it at four people that says something in and of itself that you said, "Hey, we're going to take time now to do that." I'm curious how you've been able to translate it from four people around a room or even 20 people around the world that you can get on connects. It's much easier to steer the ship when there's 20 people versus when there's 150 or 200. How have you maintained those values or held on to those values or kept those alive when you have a much bigger ship?
0: Yeah, I think you have to think about it as a system and a system that starts all the way from who you hire and how you recruit to how you onboard people, to how you retain, motivate, to how you promote, to how you fire if needed, to how you grow to how you support people in their career in the long run. And if you think about that sort of holistically, about the entire kind of journey that people have, we try to infuse our values in every single step. So I'll give you an example. In the first week of onboarding, we have something called a week one ship, which means that when you join Monte Carlo, in the first week, you have to ship something to production. For engineers, it would be code in production. You have to actually make a real impact on our customers. For salesperson, it might be get on a real call with a customer. And the idea is that at Monte Carlo, you're adding value from day one. So one of our values is called ship and iterate, which means we learn and improve by iteration. And so we don't believe like on sitting the solution for a very long time, but rather shipping something, getting customer feedback on it, and then iterating on that. That sort of is a process to get to a very high bar, high standard of excellence, and so every single person that joins Monte Carlo first week, they ship something to production for marketing. It could be a blog post, for example, whatever it is, you have to put yourself out there. And so that reminds everyone when they're joining in first day, they have to do that. So, I'll give you another example from a little bit later in the journey. We are actually next week are doing sort of an offsite for our hiring managers. So basically, anyone who's leader or people leader at Monte Carlo, and We're calling that offsite speed and focus as a way to remember what's important, which is like being highly focused, highly driven into one specific direction and being very fast in that direction. And we're actually spending a lot of the offsite on our culture and our values and what's important to us, spending time sort of strengthening these aspects of our culture that we think are unique. As you can see, throughout the company journey or the employee journey, at different strategic points, we make a point at the company to talk about our values, to think about them, to use them. Now, these are all, they can feel artificial, if that makes sense, or they feel like forced. At the end of the day, I think it has to do with, are the people that are at the company with you on the bus, if you will, do they believe and live and breathe the values? You know what I mean? Like when we're talking about a couple of hundreds, it's not so much about me anymore when you were four people, maybe. But when it's hundreds of people, it's really about every single person, how they show up in in a meeting or in a forum. Are they the fastest person in the room or are they wasting everyone's time with something that doesn't matter? Are they thinking about the customer or are they worried about other stuff that doesn't matter? Are they remembering to ship and iterate? Like It's about every single person showing up as their best self. So in a sense, I feel like a lot of the strength of our culture has to do with those unique individuals and every single person living these values every day.
1: I love that. I love how you're in a position which is unique as a CEO and co-founder. You're not even just on the people side, but you're thinking about the full employee experience, which is actually pretty unique in the work that we do. It's usually the people team that thinks about that. And the CEO is just hey, let's just focus on new customers and let's just focus on keeping our customers happy. And it sounds like I'm hearing between the lines is, in order to do that, we need to make sure these are infused in all the different elements. And I love the different examples of like ship and iterate day one week one. Sorry, not day one, but week one.
0: It shouldn't I, be I, day I, one. What was that?
1: So <laughs> I'm very curious because you said something at the start about your journey and how you you've gone on a silent retreat. You took some self time. It seems you, and I may be making a leap here, understand the value of that reflection and that reflective period of time, whether it's you meditating or doing retreats or whatever that is. And then as you're talking about the values of the business, I'm hearing speed. How do you, either personally or as you think about your people in the business, you can answer in any way, balance the slowing down and the need for speed at at the pace in which your business needs to
0: succeed? That is a great question. I would say my natural mode would be speed. I also enjoy it. I very much believe in startups in general. If it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no. If you're not like really in it and super excited about it, don't waste your time on it, right? Like life is short, go do other things. There's no point in doing something that you don't enjoy, right? Literally
1: just had that conversation with somebody today before this. I was like, there's no point in this, just stop it. And I don't mean to be rude, but like, it's not a fuck yes, so it's a fuck no. Um, Exactly. I I love that,
0: yeah. Exactly. And so for me, I enjoy speed because you learn more, you ship more, you get to interact with customers more. It's basically, it's not just an advantage for the business, but I think it's also a more sort of fun and exhilarating way to live. And so I, I love that. I get great pleasure from like meeting with a customer and our team shipping a feature for them literally that afternoon or that week. And them telling us, wow, this is like the fastest team I've ever worked with. It's amazing. And we learn from that interaction and then we can ship that feature to a bunch of other customers. And it's just this flywheel of like magic and awesomeness, which I just get high off of, honestly. It is the really why I wake up in the morning, if that makes sense. And so slowing down is very not natural to me. But I've learned throughout my career and throughout my life that it is important to stop and reflect every once in a while to make sure that the direction that you're still heading in is the right direction. And to make sure that you're celebrating the happy moments and that you recharge yourself to be resilient for the longer run. And so I can tell you that meditation or sort of time to really reflect is something that I've had to also introduce into our business. Some of the examples for how we do that is we actually have this sort of operational calendar for every quarter, which allows for those breaks or reflections, if you will. And so at the beginning of the quarter, actually each function introduces a reflection of how they've done in the last quarter, what their performance was, and more importantly, what were the learnings that they had. And they present that to their peers. So all the functional leaders get together and review that. And then we take the learnings from that and apply those for next quarter. Similarly, we reflect company level on our performance and our learnings, and we do that with our board. At the beginning of the end of the quarter, we use that timeline to introduce that reflection. The other kind of reflection that we do quite often is we conduct retros. after major sort of learning moments, let's say, for example, we had some incident or we lost a customer or any kind of like major event where we can really learn and improve from, we take the time to conduct a blameless retro to understand what happened, reflect on that. I think those, those are periods of time where actually slowing down allows you to move a lot faster and more importantly in the right direction. So that's why I always say it's not just speed, it's speed and focus. And sometimes it helps, like, stop and take a step back and think about things. I would say that also reading books helps me slow down, actually. A couple of books that have helped me do that, Amp It Up by Frank Slootman. It's actually a book about speed. Think about what Amp It Up means. Yeah, I was going
1: to say, Barbara, (laughs) come on. Of course, I'm thinking about these intentionality books. Like, (laughs) I think that stillness is the key uh, is (laughs) one of them. I listen to it because it's super calm. Like, I need that to slow me down. you're like, Amp It Up. (laughs) At 3x speed. Listen to it while I'm on the treadmill. All right. And ready to slow down. Right. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough, Varen. But I think, I guess I mean it helps slow down in the sense that it helps provide perspective, right? Or like, okay, let me zoom out for a second and see what does this person mean about speed? And what do I mean about speed? And how's that different from what I think? And how's it similar? Another book that I am actually
1: doing as well in that I'm making fun right. of you, but you're not actually doing, you're being, you're listening, which is a very different, we talk about this in in leadership all the time. And and in coaching, it's there's a difference between being on the doing part of the spectrum and the being. And sometimes you got to shift over to the being and sometimes you got to be all in the doing. And so I'm making fun of you, but you're in the you're in the being state.
0: No, it's and by the way, being in the being state is really difficult for me. It's one of the things that I've tried to do the most and reading helps. But I just going to say the other book that I loved is No Rules. It's actually by the Netflix.
1: Yeah, Um, it's a great book.
0: Yeah. And I think what I loved about that is there's something about the entrepreneur journey that forces you to be really authentic. And I'll explain why. Basically, you get shit for whatever you do. Whatever you if you choose left, you're going to get shit from someone. If you choose right, you're going to get shit for every any decision that you make. It's very hard to make everyone happy. And so by definition, by the way, for any kind of advice question that you have, you'll get like 50% of people telling you something and 50% telling you the exact opposite. And you can't make everyone happy, and so by definition, because of that, you actually have to be really centered in your core and really understand what you believe in, and that actually takes a lot of listening and being in the present to understand. And it forces because it forces you to be incredibly authentic and specific in your core and what you believe in, because that's the only way to move forward. That journey has been really meaningful for me in the last couple of years, and. Being able to tune in and say, what do I believe in at this moment? And how do I move forward with authenticity? And the No Rules book by Netflix actually talks a lot about doing things in a non-traditional way. Actually, they had no rules and created a huge, very successful company in a very non-traditional way. And I think part of that sort of gives me permission to be myself. I don't need to sort of adhere to some methodology or rule or playbook. I need to find my authentic voice. And that is where sort of my leadership comes from and where I think, where I also get the most joy in in leadership.
1: Oh God, there is so much in this that I'm bubbling up with a lot of good emotions and feels. We have a value at Raise the Bar called standing your commitment. And I have this conversation when we interview people, I have this conversation when we onboard people and it's what you say your core, we call your commitment. Could be your why, your purpose, name it, whatever you want. And we say like, everyone has their own, but when you stand in yours and make a decision from there versus making it out of fear versus making it out of worrying about screwing up or looking good or building the right business, you're going to make the best decision. And I just, I love that you're sharing this and it's a, it's just beautiful. It's a really important way. There's so many things I heard from this, just this last little segment of the importance of being authentic to yourself, the importance of knowing about yourself. And so what I want listeners as you're listening to this and you're listening to Barr speak fast, but also very intelligently, and talk about the importance of speed, what she's also highlighting what you're also highlighting is like knowing yourself, and so you can't speed through that right that is something that might takes other people it takes time, and it's not something that just happens. We work with a lot of first time managers at growing companies, and the hardest thing that they have is like, why well, I need you to do what I need to do and we're like actually you're going to hate us because we're telling you to slow down so that you could speed up and what you're talking about is like speed with focus, intentional speed, which is different than chicken with your head cut off speed. Just go and do things. I need to fill up my task list and do it. And so I think that's an incredible difference, the intentional speed and the structured reflection that you built in every quarter and after big events. There's so many gold nuggets in this. Like, I, I, like I'm parsing through them all right now. I had a lot of notes on my page, but this is yeah, really good. I want to dive into so many other realms, but I want people to be able to take away these big gold nuggets, the importance of intentional speed, the importance of knowing yourself and doing some self-work, the importance of structural reflection. You can move fast. What I'm hearing is you can move fast if you build in time to stop and say, how are we doing? Where are we towards our goals? As opposed to just moving fast and not checking in. These are some really important insights. I'm ready to stop and say, hey, everybody absorb this because we could add 15 more insights in the next 15 minutes. And I I think this is perfect where it is.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you. For sure. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: Raising the Bar on Leadership is produced by Raise the Bar, where we help organizations level up by empowering their managers with the tools, skills, and training to be better leaders of people. You can get in touch with us at raisebar.co. Thank you for listening and go put your learning into practice.